0: Now I'm on. Greg did that on purpose. <laughs> well, welcome. Happy Fourth of July weekend. What a time to uh, gather together and appreciate Amir's prayer. And I uh, give a lot of thanks to Greg for filling in for me last week. appreciate him. Uh, if you will, turn to uh, Isaiah 52 verse 13 now if you have your bible or ipad or whatever you had please turn there because we're going to camp out the whole message here you know so we'll be here so uh it'd be helpful if you had your bible or iphone or whatever open to these verses as we read read through them all right the title of the message it's all about jesus i don't know who told adam about that but uh He certainly had the introductory songs all about Jesus. So I appreciate Adam's listening to the Lord. Well, uh, let us look this uh, morning, and we're going to start off with Isaiah 52, verse 13. Isaiah 52, verse 13. And it says this, Behold, Jesus shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up, and she'll be exalted. Now, this is something that we all should remember. You know, uh, several years ago, I did a message. I remember it says, keep the main thing, the main thing. Well, this morning, we're going to talk about the main thing. Okay, this is the main thing. Everything is going to be secondary. Anything I would say would be secondary to what we're going to say this morning. And um, first of all, As we look at this, and this is something we should, we've talked about before, but we should keep in our minds, is that the Bible that we're holding, the Bible is the unfolding revelation or the unfolding revealing of Jesus Christ and the redemption of man. That's why we have the Bible. People like to argue about this, this. The reason we have the Bible, because it is the unfolding revelation of Christ and redemption of man. And if we, and that's the purpose of the Bible. People can read it for any other reason they want to. But the purpose is to reveal Christ. And the purpose is redemption of man. That's the reason God gave it to us, period. All right? So keep that on your mind. It really helps if anybody asks you about the Bible. You can just say, it's a revelation of Christ, redemption of man. And just keep going back there. And you'll be amazed, it just answers all our questions, and keeps thing focused. So it should always be on our lips, always on our lips. So now we're looking here at Isaiah, and what we have here in Isaiah is that 800 years, 800 years before the birth of Christ, that's when Isaiah was written, 800 years before the birth of Christ, We have a detailed prophecy, a detailed prophecy about Jesus and the redemption of man. So, you with me? 800 years before Jesus was born. We have a detailed prophecy about Jesus and the redemption of man. The reason we have a New New Testament that can make sense to us is because it's built on the Old Testament where God first revealed himself. All God's people said Amen. Amen. Now, heads up. Just a little heads up. I want to warn you as as we go through this. Based on my own understanding of things, I have in certain places kind of paraphrased, you know, to clarify. All right? And so I let you know up front that I did that. And then also I added the name of Jesus each place Where it refers to, God says, his anointed servant or the Messiah. So when Jesus, when God refers in this section to the Messiah, the coming Messiah, which all the Jewish people would believe, okay, I inserted Jesus. So, like this first, the first one I read in your Bible says, I don't see Jesus in there. (laughs) Okay, that's cause I stuck it in there. All right? So, because it was talking about my servant will. My servant will act wisely. Well, the servant he's talking about is the Messiah in the future, and the Messiah will act wisely. Christ is the Greek for Messiah. All right? It's Jesus the Messiah. Jesus the Christ, Jesus the Messiah. So, it was okay for me to put Jesus there. But that's what I'm... And that's what I do throughout this whole section to drive home the point that Jesus is the Messiah. He fulfilled the Old Testament. So, here we have 800 years before Jesus, a clear explanation of Jesus and his ministry and his purpose in this world. Amen? Fascinating. Fascinating. So, when we... And also, as you will look, I've used some various translations. You know, I thought, well, the NIV said it good here. The ESV said it good here. The NSAV said it good. So I just kind of, is everything unfold. I'm just letting you know what I did, okay? Looked at it as I came through this. Now, I don't feel too... Oh, yeah, and I did look at several commentaries, too. I said, well, that was an insight, all right? So I'm just letting you know this is what I did as I went through it. However, I feel perfectly confident with each one of you because I know you will go in your own Bible study and you will determine if I'm on track or not, okay? So I feel real comfortable. So it's up to you to reread this, you know. Say, I don't know where Wallace is coming from here. Or you might say, well, that's a good insight, okay? Okay but I have all the confidence in the world in you that you will read it. Amen? You will read the inerrant word of God and let God speak to you through his inerrant word. Amen? All right. So now we, what we see in this first verse, this whole section, and we'll go all the way to Isaiah 53, verse 12, the whole section talks about Jesus, all of it. The whole section, it's incredible. I mean, it really is incredible when we look at it. And so what we see is it, is it starts off, is it starts off, God talking about his anointed servant, the Messiah. And so I put Jesus, and it says, Jesus shall act wisely. He shall be lifted high. He shall be exalted so that's God's view of his servant now as we read that we're understanding this is about Jesus God goes into more detail explaining the ministry and the purpose of Jesus him coming to this earth and how it's going to look and so that people can be prepared when he comes right were they prepared no, they weren't. How did he rebuke the Pharisees? Who are you? What are you doing? How did he rebuke them? He said, "The Scriptures speak of me." And he told them, "Said, the reason you don't know me is you don't know the Scriptures." And the Pharisees were known for knowing Scriptures. I was saying so. Jesus really irritated a lot. Of Pharisees. In fact, his disciples said, you know, you, you really made them mad. I mean, they said, gosh, you know. So, <laughs> when he, Jesus referred to himself, he went to Scripture. And they couldn't understand what he was saying. And we're going to see that maybe they should have. Because they had the same book of Isaiah as we have. By the way, I tend to ad lib a little bit. But they discovered the Dead Sea Scrolls in Israel, you know, years ago, and they're like 300 B.C. to 100 B.C., original documents, or original documents. So these would be actually documents that Jesus read from. He read from. These documents were present when Jesus was there so they had a whole history so when we say this about jesus we have this actual and original documents i mean the cripply paper skins that they rolled up we have the original documents that say these words about jesus about jesus all right or as the jews would say the messiah the messiah okay so knowing that you all are paying close attention and going to research this yourself. We see that God says, Jesus is coming and he's going to be high and lifted up. But then it goes on to say, the next verse is that Jesus before this has to suffer terribly, being beaten then crucified on the cross. On the cross. So just listen to this. I don't have an overhead for this, but this is Isaiah continually continuing to talk about Jesus. Isaiah 52:14 says, "Many were astonished at Jesus. His appearance was so marred and disfigured beyond any human recognition." That his form was beyond that of any of the children of mankind. However, this was necessary for Jesus to be able to sprinkle many nations with the blood of his sacrifice. All right? So, Isaiah is telling us that Jesus is going through something and he will be disfigured, that he will not be recognizable. He will not be recognizable. So this is his servant, Jesus, high and lifted up. But there's something, and you're not going to be able to recognize it. Recognize it. So now Isaiah goes on to tell, see, about this Messiah, about Jesus. And he tells us that Jesus grew up like any other child without any special attributes. You know, you hear stories with Jesus right there, so you know, like he's healing birds and all sorts of stuff like that. He didn't. He didn't. And if you remember right, his brothers who were raised with him, he, they didn't think he was special. I mean, they did not. Even when he was healing, he's, they didn't think he was He didn't do anything to have himself stand out per Scripture. So, what it says in Isaiah 53, verse 2, here we go. It says, Jesus grew up before God the Father like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. Jesus had no form or majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. And I mean to hate to be crass. Nobody walked on and said, Man, that is one good looking dude. Amen. <laughs> He just walked past him. There was no, nothing, you know, about his appearance that would grab you. There was nothing about his appearance and grab you. And all the pictures you see of Jesus and stuff—I mean, that's fine. We don't have any pictures of Jesus, none whatsoever, you know. So whatever fits in your mind is fine, I suppose. Now, so now this Messiah. But remember how we started this off. God says, "Here's the Messiah." Here's my servant. Here's Jesus, high and lifted up. But he's given how he got there. It was like, no, he was marred beyond recognition. You know, he wasn't much to look at. There was no special attributes about Jesus that just grabbed you, about grabbed you. And his ministry didn't start till he's like 30. 30. And he worked building furniture. That's what he did. What he did. Now, so even as Jesus stepped into his ministry, okay, this special servant, he stepped into his ministry. Isaiah records how that all came about and what happened as he stepped into the ministry. In Isaiah 53 2 to 4, it says this Jesus was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief and is one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely Jesus bore our griefs and carried our sorrows. We considered him stricken by God and afflicted. I mean, it just ties into the ministry of Jesus. Everybody's running out, oh, this is great. This is the greatest thing to ever happen, you know, like this. But that's not what happened. They're not very skeptical. Who came to him were those who were poor. Everyone in a place of prestige rejected him and even those who came to him were poor and didn't necessarily believe on who he was it was like man this is you know this guy does some kind of really interesting things and has some good things to say you know but as you see here he was despised he was despised by men and then it kind of closes out here and he says his heaviness was also because he bore our griefs and carried our sorrows and we considered him stricken by God. Now, here's an interesting thing. When you read this, and when I was looking at this verse, I saw something really for the first time here. The way this statement is written here, we considered him stricken by God, smitten by God. The way it's written, it says we considered him stricken by God. The people who considered him at this point of this verse, the people who considered him stricken by God were the people at the cross. They were looking upon the cross. They were looking upon his crucifixion. And they were basically saying, he's getting what he deserves. He's caused nothing but problems, nothing but trouble. And he's getting what he deserves. Now, even his disciples, even his disciples do he hadn't done anything wrong, but they had no clue what the crucifixion meant. They didn't have, his mother didn't have a clue what was going on. So they didn't know what was going on. But those that didn't follow him, it's like, this guy's caused nothing but trouble. And that's the reason they crucified him. That's the reason they got all the people, when you take him before Pilate, they were say, we're behind this, go to the cross, you know. Get him out of the way. And that's what it's saying. So here we got the Messiah. God's Messiah. And he's telling 800 years before he comes. They're going to crucify you. And pretty much everybody's going to be happy about it. Remember how it started off. This is my servant who's high and lifted up. But this is how he gets there. This is how he gets there. Now. So. When he follows up this, the next verse, this next verse in this prophecy, the next verse in the prophecy, 800 years before the event happened, reveals the true reason for his death. They're saying, this he's getting what he deserves. Now God says, no, he didn't do anything wrong. This is why he's suffering. You missed it. You understand it. This is why he's suffering. Have an overhead for this. You should circle it in your Bible. Isaiah 53, 5. Isaiah 53, 5. Jesus was pierced for our transgressions. Jesus was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Jesus was the punishment that brought about to us peace. And by his wounds, we are cleansed to be Presented and present with God. Now, is this powerful or what? The world says, God, what you deserve. And God said, no, you missed the point. You totally missed the point. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. If you, ever, if you look up the word crushed, you know, I mean, this is like putting something in the blender or crushed. <laughs> I mean, it really has a strong word. It's Jesus was crushed for our iniquities. See, upon Jesus was the punishment that brought us peace. If you can if one can accept the punishment that Jesus received for our sins, we can never have the peace God intended it for us to have we get the peace from understanding the death and being crushed that comes first and so he's making real good now again what is he making this clear 800 years before he went to the cross 800 years Jesus knew full well what was going to happen to him full well now so as we look at this Note, again, note the words pierced and crushed. He's pierced for us. He is crushed for us. By Jesus' wounds, it says, being pierced and crushed, we are now able to boldly, boldly approach the throne of the living God. Amen? When we come before the Lord, you know, being able to come before the Lord, that's a huge price for us to do that. Right? Right? Huge price. Oh, I can go before the... It's a huge price for us to do that. And so we see this, and then God clarifies the statement. He clarifies the statement. He says, this is why this was necessary. This is why this was necessary. Again, this is all in Isaiah. This is why this was necessary. Isaiah 53, 7 says this. Jesus, Jesus... What I went down to for Isaiah 53, six, it says, we all like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to our own way. And the God and God, the father has laid on Jesus the iniquity of us all. We've turned our own way. And so God has laid that iniquity on Jesus. That's why I came. He said, that's why I came. Remember, it says he was pierced for our transgressions. Why? Because we're like sheep that are astray and the Father, God, Father laid on Jesus that iniquity. You know, he's just like, you know, you're not getting there from here. Only through Jesus can you get there. Therefore, Jesus is coming so you can stand before me for all eternity. Now, God himself And this is, I've heard people really have a problem with this, but it's the whole center of our salvation, is God himself laid all our sin on Jesus. Who put the sin on Jesus? God put the sin on Jesus. Then it says, Jesus was stricken by God. (laughs) The Romans killed Jesus and put him there. No, God struck Jesus and used the Romans to do that. This was a divine orchestrated plan from God recorded 800 years before it happened, before it happened. And so we see he is stricken by God, not for his sins, but for our sins. It was our sins He was stricken. Jesus knew that He Himself was the solution. Jesus knew. <laughs> Against get Gethsemane, He said, Oh God, oh God, is there any way that I don't have to do this? He knew full well the agony He had to go through. He goes, but your will, not mine. He knew what had to happen. So, Jesus knew before what he had to do before he went to the cross, and he voluntarily went to the cross. Isaiah 53, 7. Jesus was oppressed. He was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that was led to the slaughter. He is silent. He opened not his mouth. People say, why didn't Jesus say something to Herod? Why didn't Jesus say something to Pilate? Why didn't Jesus say something? It's a done deal. It's a done deal. There's nothing to say. You see? And Jesus knew that, and he knew what was happening. He also knew anything he said would be wasted words on these people. See? Now, so Jesus died a very... Painful death prophesied 800 years before it took place. That is so important. 800 years before it took place, it was prophesied. You're going to die a very painful death because you have to suffer the iniquities for all the people. This Jesus, you are the solution. You are the main thing. And it's revealed in the Old Testament the Pharisees. Remember, why, who, tell us. You don't know why, because you don't know the scripture. Sometimes he wouldn't even explain it, just you don't know the scripture. You don't know the scripture. Now, so let's look at a verse that is fascinating about his death. Look at here, Isaiah 53.8. We have an overhead here. Isaiah 53.8. It says this, and just picture this, this whole thing. This is important for us as Christians to grasp. We think, well, this world going to hell in the handbasket. Gosh, I don't know if God knows what's going on. I don't know if he'll do it. What can he do? He knew Jesus was going to the cross. He ushered him into the cross, put all our burdens upon him, had him killed. He knows what's going on today. All right? We, sh- we gain strength from this. Powerful, sovereign God who has everything sifted through his hands. Now look at this. Isaiah 53, 8. Jesus was cut off out of the land of the living. Stricken for the sins of my people. Holy good night. You gotta be kidding me. You have to be kidding me. This was all something new in the (laughs) <laughs> New Testament? No, this is something old in the Old Testament that the New Testament just clarified. That just clarified. It is in the Old Testament so we can be absolutely sure that it was true in the New Testament. That's how we know it's true in the New Testament because God told us in the Old Testament. Amen? This is a powerful section of Scripture. And there are other places like this, but this really is one of the closest where it's all laid out. Now, the word that says Jesus was cut off, and that phrase, cut off, is loaded, loaded with meaning, meaning which strongly suggests a violent, premature death. Violent, he's cut off. Violent, premature death. It reflected judgment. So he was violently and prematurely cut off from the land of the living to be exactly like 33 years old. 33 years old. Now, and it says he was stricken. He was stricken, what? For the sins of my people. Think about that. God says he was stricken for the sins of my people. That is a statement of substitutionary death. He was stricken for my people. There it is. Substitutionary death. In the Old Testament, 800 years before it happened. And, you know, it helps us to remember when all the apostles are doing all the preaching and stuff and carrying it around the world, and they would just quote scriptures, quote scriptures, quote scripture. What were they quoting? Old Testament. Now, they wrote New Testament scriptures to clarify Old Testament things. But that's what they were doing. And, you know, Jesus' substitutionary death, well, it's a new thing for the church in the New Testament. No, it's an old thing prophesied at least 800 years before Jesus came. He said he was stricken. For the sin. God is saying he was stricken for the sins of my people. My people. Now, so it goes on. Now, this next verse, I mean, you're coming up. This is me. I'm going through this and I think, oh my goodness. It's just overwhelming. It's so much depth to it. And it's like you're trying to just kind of get your hands around it. And you think, okay, it couldn't get much more intense than this. It does. Look, Isaiah 53, 10. Isaiah 53, 10. This is literally like a standalone prophecy. Now, I put it, as you can see in the overhead, it says 1, 2, 3, 4. I put those in there if you didn't figure that out. (laughs) So, you know, that's some of my liberties I took. But I wanted us to look and just grab what this prophecy is saying about the Lord Jesus Christ, the foundation of all Christianity... This is it. If Christianity or people calling themselves Christians don't hold to this, they're not Christian. They're not. okay. They may be nice and whatever, but they're not Christian. You have to hold to this to be Christian. Listen to Isaiah 53.10 and take it in the depths of it. God the Father and His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. It was God... The Father's will to crush Jesus. Put it this way. It was God's Father's will to put Jesus in a blender that you can't recognize it. He doesn't even look like a man. He's so disfigured. It was God's will to crush Jesus. Everybody got that? It was God's will. God the Father... Caused Jesus. Why did Jesus have to suffer like he did? Because God the Father caused him to suffer. God the Father made Jesus a guilt offering. He was an offering. The Old Testament. You offered up all these lambs. You offer up things, and they killed the lamb and not you. Jesus. God gave Jesus as an offering. For us, they killed Jesus and not us. He was a guilt offering. And for just like, by the way, Jesus shall see his offspring. (laughs) He's not done. He will be exalted. And Jesus will see his offspring. Because he paid and suffered for it all. Now he will see his offspring. Okay, we're getting there from the first verse we opened up with. He will be high and lifted up. Okay, we're about to get there. He says, okay, he will. After I crush him, he will be high and lifted up. you see his offspring. Now I'm going to share something else. This to me is just absolutely mind-blowing it says here god the father made jesus a guilt offering in some versions say an offering for guilt you know or something like that but it says guilt offering but in the old testament the jewish system there was a guilt offering they had free will offerings they had sin offerings but they had a guilt offering jesus was a guilt offering now Here's the interesting thing about a guilt offering. When you gave a guilt offering to be sacrificed, you would give 20% more. Fifth. You gave a fifth more. Anytime, look it up in Leviticus, where every time it says a guilt offering, you gave the sacrifice plus one fifth more, plus 20% more. Jesus was a guilt offering, he suffered our sins plus 20%. They send chills up your back. Are you forgiven? You are forgiven plus 20%. If Jesus didn't do enough. You're kidding me. He died for your sin as a sacrifice. Plus 20%. Then it says... Then it says, Jesus will reign eternally with those who trust him as Savior because he will be with his offspring. The offspring are those who he sacrificed himself for plus 20%. You know, people say, that's amazing. God would die in our place and suffer for our sin. Well, how about suffer for your sin plus 20%? Do you think we should, like, praise him? (laughs) you think we should thank him? You know, it's like, Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. Incredible. And this is the Old Testament. And if we didn't have the Old Testament, we wouldn't have Leviticus to know what the guilt offering was. You know, it has so much depth of meaning that God can show us these things. Now, so looking at the resurrection. This is really an insight though it doesn't expressly say it but it's talking about that there is a resurrection jesus will see his offspring the ones he died for that's eternity for us this is our security security this is our belief system our belief system now it continues, and I'm going to kind of just wrap it up with this, the verse. I'm just going to read through it. But this is how God closes. This is how God closes this section out. And I'll just read it to you. It's Isaiah 53, 11 through 12. So we know where we are. <laughs> Jesus paid the penalty plus 20% stricken by God. We're totally forgiven. And God says, okay, let me just wrap this up for you. He says this. After Jesus has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. Now think about this. What Jesus has done, sacrificed, paid the penalty, plus 20%, and after he has suffered this, he's going to see the light of life and be satisfied. You know who he's satisfied with? Us. Us. He's satisfied with us. And if you're like me, it's like, God, I, you know, I don't know how that's working. <laughs> you, know, I de- you know, I'm not really kind of living up to what you've done. That's all right. I pay 20% more for you. I'm satisfied with you. Now, each one of you. He's satisfied with you. Totally satisfied satisfied. And that's what it's saying in this closing. It says God the Father will make many to be accounted, given to, righteous. How do we get to be accounted as righteous? Jesus sacrificed for you and gave 20% extra as a tip. Alright? So it says many will be accounted as righteous. And the reason why is because Jesus shall bear their iniquities. Jesus bore, Then this is the scripture, Jesus bore the sin of many, and now he makes intercession for their transgressions. Not only does he tell me, I paid the penalty for your sin plus 20%, now I'm praying for you. I don't know. I mean, that's kind of humbling. <laughs> I mean, that really is humbling. You're wiped clean. You're clean. Nothing is held against you. Now I'm going to pray for you. That's what that means. Now he's going to pray for me. And it's like, I kind of think, you know, I'm really not holding up my end of this bargain at all. And I think that's the reason he had to die for me, plus 20%. You know, I mean, at least 20%. We stand before the Lord totally, 100% forgiven totally totally forgiven the bible the bible is the unfolding revelation of jesus christ and the redemption of man that's why we have it that's why we don't talk about anything else talk about it no this is why this is why i won't talk about knowing the ark oh that's a great subject but before i do i'm going to talk about this I talk about this first. right here because this is what it's based on. You see what I'm saying? Be smart. Be smart about what God's done for us. Now, it, everybody go, hallelujah, amen, hallelujah. My goodness. The, now, I want to share something with you. So I want to give you a New Testament summary of Isaiah 52, verse 13. To Isaiah 53 12. Here, here's the New Testament summary. This is a New Testament verse that covers everything written in these verses, covers the whole bit. Everything that was written is for. Here's the verse who covers it all. Are you ready? 2 Corinthians 5 21. For God, for our sake, God made Jesus to be sin. Who knew no sin, so that in Jesus we might become the righteousness of God. That's it. Aren't we glad we have the, old, the New Testament? See, it's like Jesus wrote the New Testament. He's, listen, I'm going to write the New Testament, and what I want to do is summarize the Old Testament. Here's Isaiah 52, 12 through 53, 13, in 2 Corinthians 5, 21. Covers the whole thing. Amen? So, for our sake, God. Je- for our sake, God. Jesus. For our sake, God made Jesus to be sin. To, to be not just die for sin. To be sin. To be sin. Who know no sin? He didn't know any sin, but he was made to be sin. That in Jesus we would become as right as God and we can go before the throne of God pure and clean at all times. At all times. Because everything has been washed away by the blood. Amen? Now I want to ask something of you here. It says, Have you, I'm going to question kind of rhetorical, have you truly grasped this? And trusted Jesus as your Savior and know that you are forgiven? Have you grasped it? Have you grasped the depth of it? Can you say, Jesus did that for me? God struck Jesus. Jesus did that for me, so I'll be forgiven. He suffered in my place. He goes in great detail about that. And I ask you, do you believe? Oh, I believe in Jesus. That cut it. Then cut it. Then cut it. Do you believe that Jesus paid the penalty for your sins? Do you believe Jesus died for you? Do you believe that Jesus was stricken by God himself so that all his wrath could be poured out on Jesus so none would fall upon us? Do you believe Jesus has taken everything away, that we are forgiven, and since we are forgiven, covered in the blood of Jesus totally forgiven, we have a home in heaven, and God can't wait to see us come with open arms because He sees no sin. He doesn't see one sin because of Jesus. He sees us through Jesus. He sees us through Jesus. He said, oh, come to me. And for me, He said, Wallace, come on. You're holy. You're holy and accepted to me. Come, Wallace. You know, gosh, how I see you through Jesus, come, come you have an old hymn and since I don't do any hymns its come it says come amen now what I want to do if you haven't if you haven't received that if you haven't believed that believing in Jesus I'm telling you something believing in Jesus doesn't get you a nickel nothing believing in Jesus Paid the penalty for your sins, that God struck him for our sins, that we may be forgiven. That's everything. And I will pray, I will pray right now. Pray with me, and just if, even if you want to reaffirm it, dear Heavenly Father, dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank you; He paid the penalty for our sins. I put all my trust in the Lord Jesus Christ being cleansed by his blood. God, I thank you that I am forgiven in the name of the Lord Jesus. And I want to add just a little to this. How about each believer, each believer, have we really grasped this? Have we really grasped it to the point that we are not ashamed of Jesus? Have we grasped it to the point that we truly want to honor Jesus without His, without, by proclaiming His name without shame. Can we proclaim His name without shame? If we grasp this, we say, oh my God, I can proclaim His name without shame. So I'm just asking: Do we have to just reassess our own walk and say, Yes, Lord, I believe this, and I will proclaim Your name without shame? And pray with me, dear Heavenly Father. So many times we're you know, come upon by this world and people, you know, making all sorts of accusations and, you know, put us down or put Christianity down. But Lord, we know you. And I want to pray with each person here that, Lord, I honor you. And Lord, I want you to give me strength always to proclaim your name without shame any place, knowing that there's power in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. All God's people said... Amen. Hallelujah.